0: For Lean Blog Audio, I hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought, something else to help you in your lean journey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 313 of the podcast for August 7th, 2018. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you know I usually interview other people about their work. A lot of times I interview authors about their books. Well today, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to share a little bit of my new book with you here. Uh, It's a new book that's currently uh, newly released, currently available. The book is titled Measures of Success, React Less, Lead Better, Improve more. And if you want to learn more about the book and the different ways you can buy it, you can go to www.measuresofsuccessbook.com. It's currently only an ebook. You can buy it through the Amazon Kindle store. You can also buy it through a platform called Lean Pub. I'm currently working on getting the book uh, made available through Apple Books, and I'm currently working on a paperback version. Of the book. But you know, I hope this is a book that will be um, interesting and helpful to people in the lean community. It's something you know I would consider not a uh, statistics book per se. I'm trying to frame this as a management book, using some statistical methods to solve um, some problems that people in all industries face as managers. So I want to share a little bit from the book today, um, some of the front material. Um, from the book. I'm going to start by reading the foreword. Uh, I was very honored that uh, Donald J. Wheeler wrote um, the foreword. Uh, I've learned a lot from Dr. Wheeler uh, over the past 25 years. Um, I cite Dr. Wheeler uh, in in the book and and he's um, credited with the term process behavior charts as uh, an evolution of statistical process control applied to management. So this is what Dr. Wheeler wrote in the foreword. It is an honor to have the privilege to write a foreword for this book by my friend, Mark Graven. He has created a guide for using and understanding the data that surround us every day. These numbers are constantly changing. They go up and they go down. But what do these changes signify? Some of the changes in the data will represent real changes in the underlying system or process that generated the data. Other changes will simply represent the routine variation in the underlying system when nothing has changed. So the problem with interpreting the data is deciding when a change in the data represents a real change in the system and when it does not. As a result, there are two ways we can get things right and two ways we can get things wrong. We get things right when the system changes and we interpret the change in the data as a signal of that change. We also get things right when the system does not change and we interpret the change in the data as being merely noise. We get things wrong when the system does not change, but we interpret the data as representing a change. This is the error of interpreting noise as a signal. We also get things wrong when the system changes and we interpret the data as representing no change. This is the error of missing a signal. Since everyone understands the problem of missing a signal, We usually seek to avoid this error by interpreting every change as a signal. The numbers go up, and that's a signal. The numbers go down, and that's a signal. The numbers stay the same, and that's a signal too because we expected them to go up or down. As we run around crying that the sky is falling, we do occasionally get it right. But more often than not, we are simply interpreting noise as a signal. Mark presents the antidote to this disease of interpreting noise as signals. And that is why everyone who is exposed to business data of any type needs to read this book. Donald J. Wheeler, Knoxville, June 8th, 2018. So I I want to thank Dr. Wheeler for um, supporting the book, contributing that forward for his kind words. I'm really, really honored that he would do that. Um, So here's the preface to the book, um, as, as of course written by me. Why am I writing this book? I want you and your organization to be more successful, to improve more, and to be less frustrated in your improvement efforts. My intent is that this book's methods will help managers, executives, business owners, and improvement specialists in any industry use limited time more effectively. As I've worked and talked with leaders throughout my career, I've heard many common challenges that aren't always easily articulated one leader expressed a vague underlying concern, quote, We're trying really hard, but this approach, I I don't know. It seems not to be working. For all of the attention placed on performance, goals, and metrics, many leaders haven't been taught the most modern and effective ways to improve and gauge progress. Some of our common management practices, as taught in business schools or passed down from generation to generation, can actually interfere with improvement. There is a better way. I see many well-intended leaders doing what they think is best for the organization and their customers, or they're doing what they think is necessary. But some of their best efforts and long hours often end up being a waste of time. Leaders and their employees get stressed out, they react, but are they more effective as a result? Accepting a better way requires first that we recognize problems or shortcomings with current management practices. Another leader told me, quote, we have an old school command and control, if not bullying culture. Leaders demand better performance and throw goals at people, whether they're achievable or not. They celebrate when we make a small improvement and come down on us when performance dips. They throw solutions at us instead of helping us develop our improvements. We're trying to shift from a blame and shame culture to a data-driven culture. Well, I've seen too much workplace bullying throughout my career. I've I've seen far too many leaders blaming employees for a system's poor performance. It's especially sad to see in healthcare where the human stakes are so high for everyone involved. The best efforts of individuals might not be enough to guarantee success for a team or the organization as a whole. We often see great people being defeated by their broken workplace. For example, think of the famous scene from the I Love Lucy show with Lucy and Ethel in the chocolate factory. They're working hard and they can't keep up. A badly designed or managed system defeats good people every time, as they say. Far too often, leaders at all levels are in the same predicament as Lucy and Ethel. They are under enormous pressure to improve. They aren't meeting their targets. Bad results and problems are flying at them faster than they can handle like chocolates on a conveyor belt. So everybody is working hard to improve, but the management methods we've been taught might not be enough to make a difference. Thankfully, many organizations are very intentionally trying to move toward more collaborative and participatory management styles. I think this book will help people work together better in the name of improvement. A different leader said, quote, we're not very good at using data to inform daily decisions and problem solving. We're trying to build that culture. We need to push daily metrics. As we'll discuss in this book, daily metrics can be more helpful than weekly or monthly metrics. In so many settings, I've seen leaders draw poor conclusions about single data points or two data points. More data points might just mean more overreaction. Again, there is a better way. I'm fortunate to have learned and used some methods that enable better management decision-making. I'm happy I can share them with others. These methods, grounded in math and science, help us be more data-driven and to make better decisions that are based on facts instead of opinions, hunches, or feelings. Doing so will reduce the amount of time we spend chasing our tail, if you will, in the name of improvement. We can turn data, metrics, and charts into knowledge, wisdom, action, and better results. I wouldn't call this a statistics book. I'd consider it to be a management book that happens to draw upon a few simple statistical concepts and methods. These methods aren't complicated, they're just different. Anyone can use them without a Six Sigma belt or a statistics degree. Using these methods, we can learn how to distinguish between activity that adds value to the customer and activity that's wasted motion. Not all motion or effort is useful, even for leaders. We might take pride in being busy, But a lot of management activity doesn't lead to progress. One leader told me, quote, our team meets daily and talks about our metrics. They get better and then they get worse. Our monthly strategic reviews are the same thing, but on a monthly basis. Instead of stating the obvious, such as that measure is better than before, can we move to a deeper understanding of our data that leads to real improvement? This book will show you how to draw more timely, more valid conclusions based on your metrics, leading to more focused and effective improvement. These methods come from a line of legendary thinkers, including the famed management guru W. Edwards Deming, known as the American who taught the Japanese about quality after World War II. Deming learned from Walter Schuhart, who invented the statistical process control, or SPC, methods that Deming built upon to create a broader system of management that included a knowledge of variation, appreciation for a system, psychology, and the theory of knowledge. More recently, Donald J. Wheeler, Ph.D., has built upon and spread these methods, including what he dubbed process behavior charts. He has inspired many, including me, through his seminal book, Understanding Variation. I was very fortunate that my father, Bob, had a copy of Dr. Wheeler's book, along with Deming's book, Out of the Crisis, after being a student in classes they taught at General Motors. My browsing of his bookshelf piqued my interest in these topics and opened my eyes to a different way, one that I've learned to be a better way. And I'm extremely honored that Dr. Wheeler wrote the foreword for this book. Working in many industries has allowed me to test and validate the practical nature of these methods, even if they were not in sync with the organizational culture as a whole. I'm convinced these methods can be impactful, which is why I feel driven to share them through this book and my consulting work. As Dr. Wheeler says, these management and statistical methods are a way of thinking with some tools attached. By reading this book, you'll learn new methodologies and this new way of thinking. Once you learn to understand variation, it's impossible to unlearn. You'll see opportunities to apply these principles every day in everyday life and your workplace. Hopefully, we can agree that metrics and targets should be used for improvement, not for punishment. I hope this book is helpful. Thanks for reading. Mark Graben, June 25th, 2018. So here's the introduction to the book. This book presents a practical, simple method process behavior charts, that separate signal from noise in our metrics, otherwise known as performance measures. So we can learn when and how to evaluate and respond to our metrics appropriately over time. By using this method and overreacting less often or reacting in different ways, we can stop wasting time and start improving more. This will also reduce frustration in the workplace and boost performance through higher morale and increased engagement. I hope this book will be helpful to many types of readers, including those who will create process behavior charts, including analysts, process improvement specialists, quality department staff, etc., and those who will primarily consume and use charts and metrics, including managers, executives, business owners, venture capitalists, and more. Chapter 1 introduces the idea of what gets measured gets managed, but takes a deeper dive into what managed means. Topics in the chapter include choosing the right metrics, the danger of arbitrary targets, and the case for why process behavior charts matter. Leaders and employees can waste less time chasing the noise in a metric, which allows them to spend more time on systematic and sustainable improvement. Chapters two and three introduce the process behavior chart method and how to use such charts. Comparisons are drawn to some common existing methods for tracking metrics, in evaluating performance against targets. Why are process behavior charts more effective than two data point comparisons, quote unquote, bowling charts and the like? Chapter four connects charts and metrics to our goals of improvement and success. The chapter explores methods for turning an unpredictable system into a predictable system by reacting to signals, and then how to improve a predictable system in less reactive ways. Chapter 5 is a narrative description of an exercise that's effective in learning how to understand variation, the red bead game that was made famous by the late, great Dr. W. Edwards Deming. Readers will have a chance to reflect on some of the common management tactics that are generally ineffective in a real workplace. Chapter 6 shows how process behavior charts can be used to dig deeper beyond statistics found in news headlines. How are comparisons between two data points sometimes misleading? does the highest number in X years mean that there's a significant shift in our data? Chapter seven further compares process behavior charts to common management methods and analysis approaches, including linear trend lines, column charts, and more. Chapter eight comes back to workplace case studies and how we would use process behavior charts to make better management decisions. And chapter nine explores ideas related to change management and successfully introducing a new method into an organization. Appendix A takes a deeper dive for those who need it into the process and method for creating process behavior charts. And the book also includes 10 key points that will be introduced and revisited, along with three core questions that we should ask about systems and metrics. Key point number one, we don't manage the metric, we manage the system that leads to the results and we lead the people who help us improve the system. Key point number two, two data points are not a trend. Key point number three, no data have meaning apart from their context. Key point number four, a chart will always tell us more than a list of numbers. Key point number five, the job of management is not just to look backward, but also to look forward and predict, if possible, what is likely to occur. Key point number six, there is variation in every metric or data set. Process behavior charts filter out noise so we can identify signals. Key point number seven, don't waste time explaining noise in a metric. There is no simple single root cause for noise. Key point number eight, more timely data is better for improvement. Daily is better than weekly, which is better than monthly, as long as we don't overreact to every data point. Key point number nine, if there was an intervention in the system, make it clear in your chart or your discussion of the chart when that change was started or implemented. Key point number 10, when showing the before scenario, show enough data points to illustrate the previous level of variation, not just a single data point. So I'm also going to include the first part of chapter one here in this episode. Once the book starts getting into Uh, charts and graphs uh, that doesn't convey as well in audiobook format. But here's some more of the introductory material from chapter one, which is titled, Improving the Way We Improve. Most organizations are under pressure to perform better. How do we increase sales and production in our family-owned manufacturing company? Can we reduce infection rates in a hospital's intensive care unit? well, we get our startup on the growth trajectory that we promised the venture capital firm. People often feel like they're on a proverbial performance roller coaster. There's a lot of ups and downs. There's anticipation, excitement, and sometimes yelling, whether from excitement or fear. The emotional roller coaster of metrics and the way leaders react or overreact to them can be exhausting. This book is meant to help you get off the performance roller coaster, both stabilizing and systematically improving your results instead of ending up right back where you started. Leaders might be under pressure to judge performance on a daily or even hourly basis. Color coding performance as red is bad, green is good can lead to a lot of overreaction, which then wastes the time of managers and their employees. Does any of this help us improve? In an age of big data, we're too often drowning in numbers and information. Using the methods in this book, we can turn a flood of data into a controlled flow of knowledge and insight that allows us to evaluate performance better, focusing our efforts on sustainable improvement instead of knee-jerk reactions. When do our reactions, no matter how well intended, end up hampering improvement? The desire or need to improve doesn't mean that an organization knows how to do so. It doesn't mean leaders know how to look at their performance measures in ways that determine if they are actually improving. Do they know how to look for meaningful changes in performance, or are they just guessing or relying on gut feel? Do they use rules of thumb, such as, you must investigate and explain every data point that's below the target, or you must find a root cause and give a corrective action plan for every below average week? Leaders might ask the following questions. Are we reaching our goals or targets? What do we expect our future performance to be? How do we know if a change has led to a meaningful improvement? Can we discover if the system's performance is degrading before it falls back into the red? How often are leaders pressured to make metrics look good instead of improving the system and its underlying performance? Now, some leaders might not ask those questions, or they might not know how to answer all of them. This book will help us answer the first four questions. The fifth is something to think about and consider for your own setting. Measures matter, but don't forget about managing. An expression that's often shared on social media or in email signatures is, what gets measured gets managed. A statement like this emphasizes the importance of measurement, but it's frustratingly vague about how to manage or improve what is measured. Focusing on what gets measured is the reality in modern organizations. Measuring is easy. Managing is hard. Organizations often measure too many things, losing sight that the K in the common KPI acronym means key performance indicators, not kajillion performance indicators. More measures might mean more work and possibly more overreaction instead of more improvement. When under pressure to improve metrics, leaders and employees will pay attention. They'll talk about the metrics. They might assign somebody to be responsible for each one. They might form teams. That doesn't mean they know the best way to manage the metric, and it doesn't mean they know how to improve the system that generates those results. Can we measure everything in life or our workplace that matters? No. As the late Dr. W. Edwards Deming said, quote, The most important figures that one needs for management are unknown or unknowable, but successful management must nevertheless take account of them. The reality is that we have to do our best to choose measures that matter, or our boss tells us what to measure, and then manage those measures in the best or least dysfunctional way possible. What are the right metrics? Leaders are often told what to measure, causing organizational harm and dysfunction. Sometimes we get the opportunity to choose metrics or have some input. Hopefully, we have metrics that matter instead of things that are easy to measure. While there is a risk that the methods in this book could be used to better manage the wrong metrics, the focus of this book is to best manage and improve the metrics that we have. For a deeper treatment about what metrics to choose and how to set targets, books on the following methodologies could be helpful. See more in Appendix C balanced scorecard, strategy deployment, and lean startup. A balanced scorecard of metrics helps protect against the dysfunction that can result from focusing too much on any single metric. For example, if cost is the primary metric, managers might be pressured into actions that hurt safety, quality, or other important measures. Think of all the problems caused by companies that focus solely on growth at any cost. Strategy deployment, or Hoshin Konri in Japanese, is an important component of the lean management approach. Lean organizations in various industries often use a balanced scorecard of metrics such as safety, quality, delivery, cost, and morale. These metrics should be relatable to people at all levels so they feel like they can initiate improvements that contribute to their local metrics and the success of the organization as a whole from vanity metrics to actionable metrics. The Lean Startup movement asks important questions about what to measure. Eric Ries coined the phrase vanity metrics to describe our measures that quote, give the rosiest possible picture. Instead of looking at the things that paint a picture of success, we should look at metrics that are truly the key performance indicators for our organization. If we're using metrics to evaluate the success of an improvement initiative, are we choosing metrics or manipulating them to tell a story of success, no matter what actually happened? Or are we using metrics honestly to evaluate if we're getting better, getting worse, or if we're in the awkward in-between state of having a metric that seems to be fluctuating? Reese suggests that we replace vanity metrics with what he calls actionable metrics, where, quote, Data must demonstrate clear cause and effect and be related to changes, end quote, to our product, our services, or our system. Otherwise, we're just randomly trying a bunch of improvements, and that's no way to run a business. One classic example of a vanity metric is the number of visitors that come to a website. This number is easily measured, and we would hope to see a trend that increases, always going up and to the right, as entrepreneurs often say but higher website traffic numbers might be meaningless if that does not translate into increased sales. What's easy to measure isn't always what's meaningful to our business. Other examples of vanity metrics might include the number of Lean Six Sigma green belts we have trained or certified, or the number of improvements in projects that are completed. Those are easy to count, but it's also easy to lose focus on the measures that matter, such as quality, market share, and profit. As Reese wrote in his second book, The Startup Way, the fact that your site has seen an uptick in visitors doesn't mean your product is more popular or you're more successful. Kinexus, the startup I have worked with, does measure website traffic, but more important metrics include profit, which is driven by revenue, which is driven by sales, which are converted from qualified leads that often start as website visitors. If Kinexus lost sight of the real objective, they could publish really popular clickbait-type articles that might attract a large audience. Instead, the company's inbound marketing process is designed to attract people who are likely to pursue buying their type of software. The dangers of arbitrary and unachievable targets. Where we see a metric, we usually see a target. That's the reality of modern organizations leaders spend a lot of time debating whether this year's target should be something really specific, such as the possibly insignificant difference between 34.17 and 34.634. As an aside, some people use the words goal and target interchangeably. In this book, we'll adopt the other convention that says a goal is a longer-term ideal objective, such as the goal of zero preventable harm in a hospital while a target is shorter term and helps us gauge progress toward the ultimate goal. Now, I've seen too many cases where an organization didn't hit their target one year, only to then set the same target the next, or they've optimistically set an even higher target. The implication of most organizations seems to be, if we choose the right metrics and set challenging targets, then improvement will happen. If it were only so easy, everybody would be hitting their targets, whether that's increasing sales in a startup or reducing falls in a hospital. This is why Deming would always ask an important and challenging question, by what method? It's not enough to set targets and demand better results. Too many people believe that empowerment means setting aggressive targets and then leaving people alone to figure out how to meet them. Collaborating with staff doesn't mean a leader is micromanaging working together to improve our systems and processes will lead to better results. In the wrong kind of organizational culture, setting arbitrary targets can become very dysfunctional. One of Deming's famous 14 points for management reads, eliminate slogans, exhortations, and targets for the workforce asking for zero defects and new levels of productivity. Such exhortations only create adversarial relationships as the bulk of the causes of low quality and low productivity belong to the system and thus lie beyond the power of the workforce. I've worked in the type of culture that Deming warned about, so I understand how an us-versus-them environment creates unbearable stress when leaders demand performance that's unrealistic and then blame employees for not meeting that impossible standard. There's a difference between an arbitrary target and one that's, Quote, a law of nature, a term used by Don Wheeler to describe a target that has a scientific basis, such as a 60-minute target for the door-to-needle time for stroke patients to get treatment. An example of an arbitrary target might be, we need to increase sales by 25% this year. A target is still arbitrary if it's based on a competitive benchmark, last year's performance, or an organizational target that has been passed down from senior leaders. As Brian Joyner wrote in the book Fourth Generation Management, there are three things that can happen when people are pressured to hit a target without having the proper support and an effective improvement methodology. The first two are dysfunctional and are too often easier than the third and preferred alternative. One, distort the numbers. Two, distort the system. Three, improve the system. We see many examples of this in the news, and we might see them in our own workplaces. In recent years, we've seen the CEO of Wells Fargo set an arbitrary target of eight is great, meaning each customer should have eight different accounts. Since the target was unreasonable, thousands of tellers signed customers up for accounts that they didn't need or didn't know about, and then got fired for being unethical. Eventually, the CEO was forced out into retirement. In the United States Veterans Health Administration, local clinic managers were put under pressure to keep waiting times for patients under 14 days. Even though the Congressional Budget Office called the target unrealistic, people in dozens of offices created secret waiting lists, a paper waiting list to get on the official waiting list in the computer, or other such distortions to make results look better than they were. Again, some employees and local managers were fired for what were arguably very systemic problems. I recently heard a funny story about a fitness center that asked departing customers to push one of four buttons that rated their visit as one of the following, a very smiley face, a somewhat smiley face, a somewhat frowny face, or a very frowny face. The gym's manager and staff were promised an incentive if a certain number of customers hit the very smiley button each month. They might have feared being punished for not hitting that target. What did the employees figure out? They learned that they could hit the very smiley face button a few times each time they walked nearby, which boosted that metric. Problem solved? However, it's possible to have a culture where a meaningful goal or target is shared by all. And an organization like that tends to have supportive leaders and a spirit of we're all in it together. Effective managers don't just set targets, they work together with people to hit those targets. Paul O'Neill, former CEO of Alcoa, set an audacious goal for an important measure, zero employee harm in their workplaces around the world. Such a goal could have been demoralizing if it seemed impossible and people feared punishment. However, his leadership style made it clear that accountability started with him and that the company would work together toward that ideal without blaming or punishing anyone for not reaching that ideal target. During his tenure as CEO, Alcoa reduced a metric called lost workdays per injury per 100 workers from 1.86 to 0.2, a reduction of 89%. After O'Neill's retirement, thanks to the culture and methodologies that he left in place, the rate fell to 0.125 by 2012 the questions we should ask about our numbers. If an executive tells the VP of sales, revenue is 10% below our target this month, or sales are down 5%, it's easy to say that's bad, but is such a comparison meaningful? Many organizations limit their analysis of performance to simple comparisons to a goal, target, or budget. Or a metric is compared to a previous time period or against an average. What does that tell us? Not much and not enough to improve. Let's look at one metric that's tracked by a health clinic, laboratory, and medical office team. The percentage of year analysis test results that have been completed and received prior to the patient's appointment with their provider. If we post a single data point on a whiteboard, it might be obvious that we didn't meet the target this week. We see a difference between a target of 75% and an actual of 66%. We can only color code data points as Bad, red, or green is good. A single data point doesn't mean we can determine anything about trends and it doesn't tell us how to improve. The lab manager might tell the team, our percentage dropped from 66% to 49% last week. What does the context of a second data point tell us? Can we draw solid conclusions about performance trends? Well, I propose three high-level questions that are helpful if not necessary for improvement. Question one are we achieving our target or goal? Question two, are we improving? Question three, how do we improve? Hopefully this book will help you decide that all three questions are important and deserve attention. To answer question one in this case, we are currently not hitting the target, or at least we did not hit our target in either of the last two weeks. Does this mean we can ever hit the target without taking some drastic action? We can't answer that question without additional data and the right analysis. If we were currently hitting the target, we might still have interest in reaching even higher levels of performance, which requires answers to our next questions. The second data point was lower than the first. Does that mean that it's going to keep going down, or is the metric fluctuating within some range? We can't tell how our performance is trending with the simple whiteboard, scorecard, or dashboard that displays just a data point or two. Question two, are we improving, is important since improvement is necessary when we're not meeting our target. Improvement might be desirable even when targets are being met. Having just one or two data points doesn't help us know where to get started in answering question three, how do we improve? Was one of those data points an outlier or were they both within the typical range? Being able to answer that question helps us know when we should react and investigate with urgency, and when we should step back to take a more measured and systematic approach to improvement, as we'll discuss in chapter 4. There are times when we're hitting our target some or most of the time, so we still need to know how to improve. The methods in this book will help us make better decisions about charts and metrics. We'll be able to draw better cause and effect connections between our improvement efforts, and our results. Moreover, we'll waste less of our valuable time since we'll stop overreacting to every up and down in the metric. We'll be able to answer more specific versions of those three core questions. Question 1, are we achieving our target or goal? Question 1a, are we doing so occasionally? 1b, are we doing so consistently? Question 2, are we improving? 2a, can we predict future performance? Question three, how do we improve? A, when do we react? B, when do we step back and improve the system? C, how can we prove we've improved? The aim of this book is not learning how to create charts for our metrics. It's about improving performance through these methods and these questions. Because again, we'll waste less of our valuable time since we'll stop overreacting to every up and down in the metric. So that's the end of the excerpt from chapter one. If you'd like to read the entire sample chapter, you can do so by going to the book's website, www.measuresofsuccessbook.com. You can look up in the uh, upper menu. There's a a link that says Get Sample Chapter. And um, I I hope you'll do that and start looking at um, the way the rest of chapter one unfolds, a little bit more visual nature, um, of the book as it takes shape. There are a lot of charts, a lot of examples. Um, it, it, it really is, by necessity, a, a visual medium. But I hope today's podcast and audiobook style excerpt, um, kind of what's your appetite for the book. So again, the book is titled Measures of Success, React Less, Lead Better, Improve More. And again, this has been Mark Graben reading an excerpt from the book. I hope hope you'll go check it out. Again, it's available in the Amazon Kindle store. You can also buy a PDF and other ebook formats along with some digital extras through a site called Lean Pub. And again, you can find links to both of those at www.measuresofsuccessbook.com. And again, the page for this episode is leanblog.org 313. Thanks for listening.